Welcome to Belly Dance Alchemy, a captivating blend of the best elements of career and professional development and the magic of belly dance. I'm your host, Kelly Nottingham. Ready to make your day job sparkle and your dance life grow in new and inspiring ways? Let's see what we can brew up. Hi, dancers. Our last episode was on how to maximize your one-on-one coaching or mentoring sessions. Today is focused on a similar topic, but we're actually looking at the other side of the equation. So the goal of this episode is to talk about best practices from corporate coaching and mentoring and goal setting and progress tracking and adult learning into the mentor or coach side, either in a dance coaching situation or in a non-dance mentoring situation. So just for full transparency, my primary experience in this is based in professional coaching and mentoring in corporate and career development settings with paid individual clients, group coaching clients, and volunteer mentoring. Now, the environment that you may be working with someone in one-on-one could be dance-based or non-dance-based, but many of the best practices actually overlap both scenarios. So the information that I'm going to be sharing here is specifically intended to provide you with some additional ideas to effectively help people during their one-on-one sessions with you and make the most of their time with you as their coach or mentor. But we're also going to be addressing how you as the coach or mentor can grow as well during these sessions. So what we're going to be covering today, goal setting, what you want to get out of the relationship the one-on-one sessions, active listening and asking good questions, setting healthy boundaries, and dealing with what I like to call derailers. So as we go through today's episode, I'm going to be using the word learner in place of minty coachy student because it's frankly just way easier. So in the previous episode, we talked about maximizing a private coaching or mentoring session, and I laid out some common issues seen in those one-on-one sessions. The first is that learners may expect a coaching or mentoring session to work like magic to somehow solve their problems or challenges without them having to do the work. And as we already know, it's not designed to do that. The impetus is on the learner, not on you, to drive progress, and to make the efforts to make the successful outcomes happen. Number two is that the learner may not have clarity on what they actually want those outcomes to be. They don't actually maybe know what they want to accomplish. So we have to get really clear on that with our learner before anything else happens. So clarity on goals is going to be one of the biggest pieces that causes challenges with one-on-one sessions. So we're going to start off with that first. So students have come to me before asking for advice about taking private lessons, either from me or from the studio owner where I teach dance. One common comment that I hear is, well, I think I would probably benefit from one-on-one coaching, but I don't know exactly what they are. Like, what is that like? What are the sessions about? Do you dance? Do you talk the whole time? How do they work? I mean, how do you even know what to talk about? And honestly, I think this is really way more common than some teachers realize because learners may be scared or embarrassed to ask their teacher about this. Your students 
uh, or the people maybe in a corporate setting or work setting that you're working with may be nervous about asking you how all of this works because they feel like it's something they should already know. A lot of times they may think that everyone else around them already knows. And so they don't want to be that person that's like, I don't understand how this goes from my experience. And I would love to hear from listeners if you've seen this as well. Many learners think that one-on-one sessions actually follow a pre-established formula and that the mentor coach will take charge with a sort of standard one-on-one setup. So many, many learners, when they come in to these one-on-one sessions, are going to need help understanding this from the very beginning. And this is something that you may want to think about if you are marketing one-on-one sessions as part of your services, is that people may not actually understand examples of what kinds of things would be covered or how these sessions would go. They're going to need help with goal setting from the very beginning of this process of working with you. This is new territory for a lot of people. And they may set very grandiose or very vague goals, goals that really aren't even goals. They're more like New Year's resolutions or wish lists. So in order to help them to be successful, you're going to have to help them from the beginning to set goals within their control. Goals like I want to get promoted, which is one I have heard many, many times in my work, needs to be transformed into something like I want to build blank skill to certain level to make myself a better promotion candidate. A dance example might be someone coming in and saying, I want to learn how to dance with a veil. What does that mean? What are the steps to take and how are you going to measure success for that? That goal could be transformed into something like learn four turning moves with a veil. Learn how to hold a veil successfully and unentangle yourself when it inevitably gets wrapped around your head. Those are those are manageable types of goals and things that people can practice and measure that they know that they're accomplishing. One of the biggest takeaways from the coaching certification that I did, in, it was in 2013, which is unreal, time just flies, is the power of open-ended questions. Now, these are questions that start with who, what, when, where, and how. They are designed to get more than a yes or no response. Now, why questions technically fall within open-ended questions too, but we have to be very careful with why questions because they can sometimes come off as accusatory or condescending. So asking someone, why did you do it that way, uh, can cause people to get very defensive. You can use why questions, but use them with discretion. So these open-ended questions help to get the learners to start talking more fully about a situation. And when they start talking more about the challenges they're facing, about how they're feeling about what's going on, you're going to be able to help them a lot more. Now, the other biggest takeaway from my coaching certification that has really stuck with me over the years was how easy it is to slip back into yes or no questions when we're not being really focused on asking good open-ended questions. So here are some questions that you can use to help your learner clarify their goals. How do you feel about your situation? Or how do you feel about your dancing right now? How would you prefer to feel? What would success in that situation or success in your dance look like to you? What do you think your next step should be? 
How can you measure your progress? What obstacles do you find getting in your way? Now, obviously, this is not an exhaustive list of questions. It's just to get you kind of thinking about how these work. When I first started coaching people professionally, uh, this was actually something I was I was really focused on getting better at this and for my own development, but also to be more effective, obviously, as a coach. Uh, I actually had a list of these types of questions that I typed up. I took with me into each session. The goal of that was that if I ever got stuck anywhere where somebody said something and I wasn't sure where to go with the next question, something didn't intuitively pop into my head, I had a list of open-ended questions that I could fall back on. But it also helped me to be able to listen more fully because I wasn't as focused on, okay, what do I need to ask next? What do I need to say next? Now, some creative types, when it comes to goal setting, I'm calling myself out here on this one. And there's some of you, I have a feeling who are going to say, I feel seen right now. Some creative types have a really messed up sense of how long things will take. I call these time warps where something that should take 10 minutes ends up taking two hours or something that you think would take two days ends up taking 20 minutes. So if you are working with a time warper, they are probably going to need some guidance from you on how realistic their goals are and specifically realistic on how long things are going to take to get accomplished. Another thought about goal setting and seeing progress to help with coming up with an idea of measurable goals is to create a pre-assessment. And you can work with your learner on coming up with a pre-assessment or some kind of self-rating for how they think they're doing now. And then use that same rating scale throughout to see their progress. This can be for one-on-one sessions or for longer-term coaching or mentoring arrangements. This can especially help if you have an impatient learner, someone who feels that they're not making improvements or that they're not making improvements fast enough, having assessments of some kind, even if it's literally just a quick video recording of before and after, can help build that learner's belief in their capacity to learn and improve. So a last thought on goal setting for your learner. Goals help us to keep focused and to have something to aim toward. That something can be lots of things at lots of different levels. It doesn't have to be the big goal. It can be learning a new fact or learning about a new resource for further learning. It can be building the first steps in a new stretching regimen. It can be a next step to take in the desired direction. Being clear about the desired outcome is going to help your learner feel that they're making progress. Now that takes us into our next topic for this podcast, which is what is your goal for yourself in your coaching and mentoring role? Some of you may be thinking right now, well, it's not about me. It's selfish to think that it's about me, but I like to look at everything in life as a learning opportunity. It's an opportunity to practice. Coaching and mentoring is absolutely no exception to this. The best mentoring and coaching relationships are where both sides are growing and developing. There are always places where we can improve our own skills. And when we approach our coaching and mentoring sessions with wanting to improve something about our own skills, it can make us more humble. It can make us more willing to go into the situation with an open mind. It can take some pressure off of us to be the perfect guru type. 
And it can take us out of that place of wanting to fix the learner or own their outcomes and success for them. So why are you interested in mentoring and coaching? What do you hope to get out of your next mentoring or coaching relationship? Do you want to practice your question asking skills? Do you want to ask a different type of question? Do you want to work on your active listening skills, which we're going to be talking about next? Do you want to reconnect with the challenges that less experienced dancers are facing and learn one or two things that maybe you hadn't realized you had forgotten was a challenge for a less experienced dancer? Being honest with ourselves about what we want to get out of the situation can help to ground us in those conversations and keep us much more present in the conversations as they're happening. So one that I mentioned is active listening. This is one that a lot of coaches and mentors want to work on and actively need to work on continuously. So let's discuss some best practices for active listening. When you ask good questions, be prepared and ready to listen and really hear what's going on. What's going on, not only at the surface, what's going on at the root of what the person is saying? What's going on, not just on stage, but behind the curtain of what this person is going through? Truly listening to someone Giving our time and our energy to listen to someone is a precious gift, especially nowadays. We have so much disconnection going on in the world. We have so many distractions going on in the world. Listening to someone is something that that they may not get on a very regular basis. So give them that gift of your attention and your time. Let them open, relish enjoying opening that gift and opening themselves up to you. Give them your attention mentally, emotionally, and physically. This means not only good eye contact, body language that's receptive and focused on the learner, but also giving them the space to think before they speak, giving them a gift of silence so they can process, listening with empathy and without judgment, Listening with the goal of understanding first and foremost, not pushing your own ideas. Now, if you struggle with being an interrupter, here's a recommendation. Take a slow breath after they finish speaking each time, both to give them time to jump back in if they have something else to add or something else that they've thought of, but also to center yourself before you respond. It helps the learner to feel heard. And it helps them to understand that you're not just waiting on them to finish talking so you can talk. Now for interrupters, this is hard. And you may think that you're going to lose your train of thought because you probably have all these thoughts going in your head all at the same time that you want to get out. As an active listening practice, it is important for you to put your thoughts aside for the time being so that you are taking in instead of already trying to formulate a response. It also means getting comfortable with silence. Practice getting used to that silence. Now, good active listening can actually cause the whole goal of the one-on-one session to pivot and change directions. So when you hear something come up or you see something come up in a coaching or mentoring session and you follow up on it to discover more, 
you're much more likely to get to a root cause of a challenge rather than just dealing with the surface issues. So even if a goal has been set at the beginning of the session, there may be a point in the session where you will need to see, reach out and talk to the person about possibly going down that rabbit hole of something else that was just discovered if you and they agree that it's something that is going to be worthwhile spending your time on. Now, when you start really getting into that active listening space, and because it is such a rare gift for people to get an opportunity to be heard nowadays, you can end up feeling like someone's therapist. And unless you're an actual therapist, and that that is the parameter of your relationship, we have some boundary issues. So we're going to talk now about boundaries. The goal of building and maintaining boundaries in the relationship is so that the relationship takes up an appropriate amount of time and energy. Now, I am specifically talking to you, healthy helper sons out there, because you are really going to find this can be a challenge. If you find that someone is going too far into personal issues, you can try to bring them back into the goal of the session, which is, again, why clarifying that goal very early on can help. If you see things coming up, though, that probably need to be addressed in a clinical setting, it can be helpful to practice having a conversation or knowing how you would address this conversation to refer them to a professional therapist or to refer them to counseling. It's better to go ahead and think through how you would address that before it comes up and you're taken unawares with someone who's really unloading on you with some things that it's not appropriate for you to have to address those topics. Boundary setting is also all about reminding yourself that you don't own the other person's success. You can guide them, you can support them, but they have to do the work themselves. You can't do that work for them. Don't invest more into the relationship than the learner does. So if you're preparing for meetings with them and you've been working really hard to come up with resources for them and ideas for them, and they're not implementing anything, they're not doing anything, they're skipping meetings, you need to reevaluate how much energy you are putting in versus how much energy they are putting in. Now, I'm not saying here that you need to be a rigid taskmaster and that if a person is really struggling with something and is taking them some time to work through, that those are not valuable sessions. They absolutely can be. What I'm talking about is someone who's coming in for a session with no real goal in mind. They don't seem interested in setting a goal. They don't seem interested in doing anything but kind of sitting down and chatting with you or they skip meetings. They cancel meetings at the last minute. Those are the places where you really need to start setting up some boundaries. Another place where boundaries can sometimes get a little bit fuzzy is if you have regular chats with this person, maybe before or after class or through emails or phone calls or texts, and it's becoming more than just a quick response kind of conversation, you will need to suggest that they book some time with you. You need to set and hold that boundary. Because first of all, if they know that you're available for impromptu, unpaid time with them, they will keep taking that time. And when other people see that behavior, 
they're going to assume that that's perfectly fine and acceptable to do. And suddenly you're working for free or all of your extra time is gone. What you allow is what will continue. Set expectations very early about what you agree upon as a good arrangement for meetings, for communications, for discussions outside of your regular set meetings, for how long it's going to take you to respond to emails or calls, how to report in on progress, how to cancel a session or move a session. You can agree on these things at the first meeting, ideally. If not at the first meeting, they need to be discussed early. One best practice is even to do a mentoring or coaching contract or agreement. It doesn't have to be fancy. It can be a simple document or an email that both of you confirm that lays out all of this so you both are really clear going in and nobody feels that their boundaries are being stepped over. All right, so the last section I wanted to talk about in our mentoring coaching best practices session today is about being willing and able to help with derailers. So we've talked about a lot of best practices, but mentors and coaches have an additional role on top of this. And this is an often unspoken one, which is to identify and be willing to help with derailers. These are possible issues that the person isn't aware of themselves that may be impacting either their dance or their career. So I have a story about a derailer to show you what I'm talking about here. I worked with a person years ago in a corporate setting who came to work with me because this person wanted to be promoted and was getting interviews for promotions within their team and their department, but was not getting a job offer. Now, they thought that the reason was because they weren't advocating for themselves well enough and demonstrating that they had the skills to do the job well enough. However, over the course of time, and I had worked with this person before in different types of training programs, I had a feeling of about one derailer that this person had that they were not aware of. They had really severe RBF. Now, for those of you who do not know what RBF is, um, I'm going to try to keep this uh, clean and we might have children listening, so I'm going to say this this way. RBF stands for resting B face. <laughs> um, the way that it's probably easiest described is a facial expression that looks grumpy all the time or looks angry all the time. It looks like they're smelling something bad all the time. So they have their nose crinkled up, their mouth is downturned on the edges, they might have frown lines uh, between their eyebrows, and they just generally look kind of hateful all the time. Now, I'm not here to criticize anybody's face. That is not my point. But this person had a reputation of being difficult to work with because in every meeting and in every conversation that they were having with other people, they had that look on their face and people were making an assumption that they were difficult to work with. It's unfortunate, uh, but it was something that was definitely impacting this person's career opportunities. It wasn't the reason that the person came to me to talk to me, but it was something that was severely impacting their career because I, I honestly had actually heard other people saying this about this person, like, well, they just, they look angry all the time and I'm not sure why they're so upset all the time. And, you know, every time we try to get them involved in something, they, they just look like they're not happy. 
Addressing these types of issues, as you can well imagine, requires a tremendous amount of emotional intelligence and trust between the learner and the mentor coach. It also requires very clear, direct conversation about the types of guidance and feedback that will be given during the one-on-one sessions. And there may be times when it's not appropriate to address derailers. It's not within the scope of what that one-on-one meeting is all about. Respect the boundaries of that one-on-one session, because if you are trying to address derailers, when the person is not receptive to hearing about that derailer, it's going to completely destroy the trust built in the relationship. Now, this may also take some creative approaches from the mentor. And as you find these types of situations coming up, you know, you're going to have to, as the mentor coach, determine if it's worth addressing, if it's going to impede the success of this person, if it's not addressed, and potentially come up with some unique ways of helping the person work through these challenges. So some other examples of issues that may come up that maybe these derailers behind the scenes that they don't really see are the challenge. Self-confidence is a huge one. Decision-making. On a more tactical level for dance, there may be a lack of good, solid, foundational movement vocabulary and a student is trying to move into much more complex movements too quickly. So this is where, as a coach or mentor, it helps to have your own coach and mentor to perhaps talk through some of these challenges, uh, ways to address them. And this is where it's going to take some tremendous trust, some openness, and that emotional intelligence to really figure out if this is the right way to address the issue, how do I address the issue, should we address the issue, and so on. So listen, ask questions, put yourself in their shoes. And again, you can also look at root causes to help identify some of these derailers because there is going to be some kind of underlying issue going on with these. So you can ask them about their past experiences, get them to tell you some stories about what's going on, And you're going to begin to see patterns that can help bring out what these derailers may represent for them and how you can address them. All right. So we have covered a lot in this session. We've talked about goal setting. We've talked about what you as the mentor or coach want to get out of these sessions for yourself. We've talked about active listening. We've talked about asking good questions. We've talked about setting healthy boundaries. And we've talked about derailers. So now let's take this one for a final spin. Why might you be interested in taking on a new mentoring or coaching relationship? Define what you want to get out of it and how you want to improve yourself. Next, define your boundaries list. How do you want to be contacted, for example? What boundary are you concerned might be crossed? Maybe you've had issues with boundaries being crossed in the past. How will you deal with this proactively going forward? And lastly, have you done a one-on-one session with a mentor coach for yourself recently? If not, consider doing one. You can even meet with an experienced mentor coach on how they do one-on-ones and what advice they would give you as you maybe take on new learners. It's so helpful to see how others do things so that we can expand our own capabilities. All right, so that's it for this episode. If you have suggestions or thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners, please hit me up at bellydancealchemypodcast at gmail.com. 
You can also sign up for our mailing list at bellydancealchemy.org. Talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Well, thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and share the magic with your dance friends. If you want more, you can sign up for our mailing list at bellydancealchemy.org or you can email me your suggestions and feedback. I would love to hear from you at bellydancealchemypodcast at gmail.com. Bye.